Hello, legends. Today, I catch up with my friend, Royal Hashem, co-founder of Piccolo Me, a cafe franchise with 35 stores and growing. Me and Roy discuss how to create marketing that makes people talk about you, the secret to getting big using processes, and how to create a customer emotion. Roy is a true mastermind when it comes to marketing and innovation. I learned so much from him. I'm sure you will too. Enjoy the show. Today, I have someone I've known for a very long time, a very good friend of mine, and I would say one of the coolest, most exciting uh, founders or co-founders in the hospitality space, Roy L. Hashem, co-founder of Piccolo Me. If you haven't seen Piccolo Me, it's the beautiful uh, yellow, how would you describe your cups? Just yellow as yellow, fuck, super yellow. yellow. As fuck, <laughs> very happy, very cheerful. You won't fucking miss it, Dan, I'm telling you that. Yeah, no, you don't. That, that's what's funny about your brand. You, you've somehow... I don't know what you guys did. You guys, uh, uh, that, would you say branding and marketing is one of your strong suits as a business, particularly a hospitality business? Absolutely, Dan. Absolutely. You know, it's all about building that emotional connection with the customers. And that's what we did. So like, for example, our, our coffee cup is iconic. So it starts with the color yellow. You know, yellow brings happiness. And that's what we try to do and bring back into our cup. So for example, our coffee cups, if you have a look at the back of the cups, they all have a really, really cool message. You know, some say you are loved, you are brave, you are strong, which really hit a spot in COVID. You know, you, you had that kind of second where people were just miserable pretty much and upset and sad and things aren't going your way. So for you to come into my store and after a couple of seconds put a smile on your face, I've fucking done my job, mate. That's yeah. me done. And, and well, I like that idea. It's like what's the emotional uh, response? What, what emotion am I trying to trigger uh, with my customer? when they interact with my business and, and what, what, so what is the emotion you try to trigger and how do you, how do you facilitate that? Well, we have a saying, you know, you come in and get piccoloed. That, that's our thing, you know, and piccoloed means everything. You leave, you're happy, big smile on your face. It's just somewhere where you just feel comfortable. Uh, so, so, so do your team, are your team trained on that? So like, I like that concept, come in, be piccoloed. It's like, okay, well, the brand and the colors are going to make me feel a certain way. The types of food you offer, I, I assume, and, and, and all that type of stuff make you feel comfortable a certain way. Uh, is the team and the franchisees, are they trained on, hey, this is how you make someone feel piccoloed? Absolutely. Like our actual company motto is, you know, have a great product, we'll bring the customer in. Great service, we'll bring them back. And that's something that we instill with all our staff and team members. That's a really cool idea. And, so, and then the business is, 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 I mean, you've got quite a franchise now. There's over 30. Yeah, we're at 35 locations now and growing. So it's awesome. Well, when did you start? 2012. And well, have you always been in hospitality? I actually don't know the story. How did you get into Always, this? always. So, so growing up, my parents were always in some kind of food business. So I was always surrounded by food and people growing up. And I guess when Pickle and Me started, it's because someone took a chance on me. You started with your brother? So it um, started with Charlie, yeah, uh, but the actual story of Pickle Me. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, it goes way back. This is actually back to school, essentially, all right? Finished school. We're like, all right, I've got to do something in my life. What do I want to do? Accounting. Why the fuck did I do accounting? Who knows, you know? Three months later, things weren't adding up. You, know, you like that pun, Dan? You like that pun? You know? <laughs> I, actually, I actually didn't catch it until you pointed at me. So I thought, you know, you know we're, we're three months in. What else can I kind of study? And I actually fell into a course called Digital Media and Design. And that's kind of my first journey and step into, into the creative world. So small business working for my dad at the cafe and marketing was hard back then. Obviously you can't afford it as a small business. So I thought, you know, I'm starting it. Why not practice what I preach essentially? And 
that's when things changed. You know, it was so much fun. Like I remember putting my face on loyalty cards, posters, like you've given this kid the, the endless opportunities, you know, with, with design. And that's how kind of Pickle Me started. So it was all about customer service, marketing, branding. And one customer took a chance on me. So I still remember uh, his name was Craig. Came up to the counter. He's like, hey, Roy, how are you? I'm like, yeah, good. Come with me for a walk. Walked me down the road to a little uh, spot, a hole in the wall. And he's like, mate, what do you think? And I'm like 20, 21 back then. He's like, I'm like, mate, it looks empty. What do you mean what do I think? It's an empty hole in the wall. He's like, this is yours. I want you to take it. I want you to put a cafe here. I know you can do it. And, and, and that's kind of how it started, yeah. So that, from that one moment, I knew we were destined to be. And, and like the name Piccolo Me, you know, Piccolo means small in Italian. Piccolo is our favourite beverage with me and Charlie as well. And me, this was a brand that we could showcase us. It was all about me. And, and, and so that, you're saying that hole in the wall was the first actual Piccolo yeah. Me? It was the first one you started? Where yeah. was that? Uh, 10 Bridge Street in the CBD. Oh, was in the city? Yeah, it's in the city, yeah. So we were, we were originally a CBD kind of chain. So we had like 10 sites in the CBD at a stage. Oh, and, and, and so did that change? It did change. So I think uh, a lot of our leases ended up a lot, a lot earlier than we expected. And it kind of was a good thing because before – this all happened kind of before COVID hit. And obviously, you know, the CBD wasn't a place you wanted to be. Oh, thank COVID. God that happened then. Yeah. So that kind of move just changed, changed everything for us. But, but, but talk about why you did it. Why like, we, what, what was the reason you ended up – moving out of the CBD and, and into different regions, you know, what was the business strategy and the purpose of well, that? Well, I think it, it was franchising. So a lot of our franchisees that were coming on board were people who were already in the city and didn't want to be in the city anymore. They wanted the whole five-day lifestyle, that kind of culture, and no one wants to travel to the city anymore. So we started branching out. So, and this comes back to our second store at Castery Street. So, so 10 Bridge Street, we smashed it, right? We killed it. Uh, early adopters of marketing there, social media, I remember when we first opened up, like I had photos of myself all over the building saying coming soon because the way to get business back then was word of mouth. So we opened up, we fucking crushed it, man. We were so busy. And, and from that, we really pushed. So like I'm very big on customer service, guest experience. So like every, every day or something I would have like you'd come and you play hoops, you, you, you get the shot in at one go, you get a free coffee. It was, just, it was just a vibe. You had to come to my store. Well, it sounds like, yeah, you, you were making people feel piccolo. Like it was, they were happy when they left. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you said you put uh, like coming soon pictures of yourself all over the store. What do you mean of you personally? Of me, yeah. And, and what was the idea behind that? Is it to show a, a face and a, like a character to the, to the company or what was the thinking behind it? Well, because, you know, like I think as a barista, you think you're king shit back in there, you know. Everyone knows you, you know everyone. So I was like, why not leverage on that? Like I made so many friends at the, the last cafe that I was working with and I wanted to bring them over. But, but how can you advertise? You know, we hadn't started a business. I pretty much probably didn't even have a name back then. And then, so I was like, put my face. They're like, oh, okay, I know that guy. That's my barista. If he's, is he coming here? Fuck, I'm going there now as well. Huh. And that's kind of what happened. So I leveraged off myself as a brand to bring people in. But, I, sorry, but it doesn't always work out like that as well. So I learned the hard way about marketing. Marketing's not kind, kind of copy and paste. So we actually opened up our second store at one Castro Street in the CBD. Three businesses went broke before us in this location. And my dad said to me, look, I know what you did at 10 Bridge Street. Can you do it again? I'm like, let's get it done. So come opening day, it was a fucking failure. <laughs> it was so bad. No one came in. It was kind of the worst experience for me as a person because I'm coming in all high and mighty like I'm the best. Putting my photos around, the same thing, put photos of myself on this building and no one knew the fuck I was in this area, right? No regulars at all. And it was a hard time in my life, you know. So I was like, how do I change this? What can I be different? Like we were just a sandwich shop at the time, Dan. 
So kind of what I did was every day for a month, I sat outside my stall with a pen and paper. I sat outside and I said, all right, what is everyone carrying? Because if they're carrying something, they're not in my stall. So it was frappes, burgers, fries, you name it. I was writing it down. And every week after, I'd add it to my menu. Frappes menu, burgers, fries. And before now, we were a sandwich shop turning into a cafe. I had the range. I knew what I had. All right, let's market it. I had coupons. I was out on the streets myself handing out fry cups, mini burgers, you name it. Within two weeks, we were the fucking hottest cafe in the CBD again. Wow. And so that was in the city as well. That was well. in the city, yeah. It, well, it, I mean, what it sounds like you do really well is you're, you're giving people what they want. Like, for example, even what you said with the franchisees, you know, they didn't live in the city. They were coming. They were probably working in the city. They, they just hated the commute. They wanted to open their own business. They wanted to be, to be closer to home and, and hence a lot of the stores, or sorry, a lot of the shops or whatever, the cafes, yeah. uh, you know, started opening up outside of the CBD. Uh, and, and then, you know, you open a cafe, uh, customers aren't coming in. And so you sit outside and look at what they're all buying and then just give them what they want. Yeah. Like it, it, w- with some clever marketing as well. It, it, I, I feel that there's a really strong focus on, uh, on giving people you what they want. You have to listen. You need to listen. And that's the biggest thing. Like I came in thinking I knew everything and I didn't. So when I started listening and I started implementing, that was the key. Yeah. And, and so what was the concept of so business always evolves? I always say business is like a river. You start somewhere upstream and you just got to follow the river down to, to, you know, to the big waters. But, but, but so what, how, what was French uh, Piccolo Me's starting concept and how did that evolve over time? So we were just an espresso bar. That's all we wanted to be, right? But the more we franchise, the more the franchise demanded more. You know, like we want, we want to do burgers. My mate's doing burgers. I want to do burgers. He's doing this. I want to, and why not? You know, like I think because we were so young and we're still family run. It's just me, Charlie, my dad. You don't have a big board to say no, no, no. So I was like, all right, you want it? Let's get it done. And obviously because I was a designer, I was making my own posters up. I was doing all, all, the, all the flyers. So we just really pushed on it. Like even our, our sandwich bar to this day, a lot of the sandwiches are named after my staff. All, all the founding team members are named. So you've got the Ricky Ricardo, uh, the Amazing Grace, the Amazing Roy, obviously, the Average Joe. So it was the business was built on listening. The staff came up with a sandwich. We put on the menu. The cut, like It was just fun. It was just honestly, it was a vibe. Well, I, I think also that it's just so people-focused. Like you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, everybody knows the barista, like their barista. Like you, you, you're having so much – you're talking to people, so many people every day. Um, and it's such a people-facing business that um, and that you actually involve that into your menu. Like it's the, the people you're ordering from, the people that that work from in this business. You know, they're also in the food yeah. in the sense like that. You know, it's 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 that familiarity, like because it is a saturated industry. Like for example, if I want to buy a coffee. There's a lot of coffee places. Yeah. So I, I guess the question is, how do you make people buy my coffee? Yeah. And and what would you say your secret to that is? The first thing is me. Yeah. I, I, That's like, what I mean. It's yeah. the people facing. It's a bit, yeah. Like I always say like I'm like one of those fucking like, you know, gold and shiny Charizard Pokemon cards that you find a rare thing. It's, it's very rare that you kind of get a, a co-founder who's been so deeply involved in it, you know, in marketing, in product innovation, in running the store. And – Generally, when you have someone like this, you've got a team to report to. Because I was working in the store, I'd report to myself. I'd see what happens, I'd act on it, and I'd change. I'd keep pushing, I'd keep evolving. And that was kind of one of the key things of the business. But then as the years grew on, we decided to embrace technology. Like now we have our own Pickle Me app. We've got about 25,000 subscribers to it, which is awesome. Well, tell me about that. So the Pickle Me app. 
Yeah, so um, so we brought it out because obviously there was a part of our business where labor shortage was a big problem. So we didn't want to really destroy the customer experience. So we brought out our own Pickle Me app. So, you know, you come in, you pre-order, you get points per uh, points per product and so on. And, and that kind of changed our business completely, you know. And, and to go one step further, we actually launched self-ordering kiosks uh, this year, which is a huge, you know, those touch screens that you see in McDonald's. So it's been a game changer for us. Okay, and that's how you guys, I guess, are pivoting. I mean, you're making a more profitable cafe model, but you're also defending against things like this latest um, um, minimum uh, minimum wage, yeah. five point whatever, almost six percent rise. So you're actually introducing. You've introduced an app which improves the customer experience while also minimizing your costs. Correct. Yeah. And a really cool thing is with the self-ordering kiosk that we kind of found out by accident. So my little brother has Down syndrome. So for the first time in his life, he could order his own meal. And it, and it was something that we stumbled on by accident. And it was so beautiful. Like we always thought this guy loved, you know, Pepsi Max. And then when the, when the screen came up and he was choosing Coke, we're like, fuck, we've got it wrong all these years. So for us, it's like, it, was, it was such a beautiful thing that, you know, all right, we gave another solution for our, our staff to help relieve them when they got busy. But we also opened up a door for people who have kind of disabilities who have always wanted to speak for themselves, but they can't speak. So it was a really beautiful moment for us. And but would you get scared that um, that you might that that might be moving away from the people focus of the business? Because as you said, like it is a very people centric business. It's yeah. the people and the teams and the, uh, the cafes and the franchisees that we that are a huge point of difference for us. And, and obviously, the way we treat people and make people feel. What was your thinking around? Ooh, could this be getting away from that? It was more kind of an add-on, like because there are a lot of people like myself. If I'm busy, like I'm one of those guys where like I'll just I'd rather use my phone or go to the kiosk just because I'm very time poor. So we kind of offer both options. You want to talk to Brewster? He's there for you, you know, or she's there for you. They, they're ready for you. But if you really just you're having a bad day and you just you don't want to talk to no one, the kiosk is there for you. It doesn't ask questions. What would, you know, straight to the point, see you later. Thank you very much. Yeah. But we're also trying to improve that experience as well. So at the moment, it's just, you know, you order and you're just a number. We're working for our developers and trying to get your name on it. So we still get that personalization in it. So even though you, you bought it on the kiosk, we're still calling it, hey, Dan, here's your meal. Okay. I like that idea. It's, it's an addition. So we're not yeah. taking away the no. human element. No. We're just adding another element that you can choose from when, when you come to this. Absolutely. Store. And, and you, you've mentioned uh, you, your family a lot, especially your brother Charlie and, and your old man. It's obviously a family-run business. Uh, family's at the center of it and you can really feel that when you go into the shops and you know, all the, I'm sure the franchisees feel that too. Yeah. How, what's the dynamic? How, how do you guys navigate um, operating a business uh, with, uh, you know, with three family members uh, quite heavily involved. Honestly, we probably brawl every day. That's family, right? Which, which family or brother says don't brawl? It's normal. But, we've got this, but we brawl because we've got the, the same goal in mind. You know, we want to achieve the same thing, which is greatness. And so, so Charlie looks after kind of the business development part of the business. Dad is kind of like our overarching GM. You know, he kind of keeps us, in, keeps us together. Yeah. And I look after, you know, marketing, innovation uh, and so on. So we kind of all stick in, even though we brawl, we all, we're all in our own lane. So we all have our own things to do and that's why we work so well. Yeah, that, that's one thing I hear a lot from people that have you know, family-run businesses is everybody has their role and everybody does the role that like focuses on the role that, that is their strong suit. You know, like while you're focusing on the marketing and the innovation, uh, Charlie's focusing on, I assume, BDs, like getting more franchises and, and that type of thing. Your old man's probably like, 
the GM, in a sense, he's like the board. You know, he's yeah. like, okay, well, let's yeah. make sure S- you guys settle down, guys. Settle down, down, guys. Down yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so your, your dad was in in hospitality before this as well. His, his whole life, yeah, everything, everything, like living and breathing was hospitality. Dad owned like donut shops, to football canteens, and you know, my dad was in it. Like it's, it's everything he always like. He lives and breathes it. And what do you love about the industry? What does he love? Or what no, do I love? You. you could say, I think it's such a special industry. Like it's the bank people feel special industry. Well, and to be honest, then it's, it's all I've ever known. Like again, gr- growing up in it, it's, it's, I've always taught to love food. I've always been taught to love people. Like growing up, the only time I could actually even see mum and dad was working because they were just working 24 seven. So being surrounded, it just gets implemented and you just love it. You know, it's just the vibe. It's amazing how you, what you see when you grow up impacts you know, your view on the world and your view on Absolutely. what you're supposed to do and what's normal and what's possible. Like yeah. um, it makes you think like, you know, imagine if someone didn't have like, well, there are, sorry, there are a lot of people who don't have like that type of, I guess, direction or even the the appearance that working hard is normal. You know, yeah. like it's so important to, 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 to have that. And is that something, obviously you're a dad now, yeah. Is that something that you've thought of or? I love it, honestly. I think the hardest thing is that kind of work-life balance though, you know, because we are so heavily involved. Like I'm already, you know, all the books that we have at home, I've already got my little, little mini coffee machine. So you, you kind of are slowly implementing it into them. Like this is an <laughs> this option is work. For, yeah, this is an option for you. <laughs> you know? but, but, it, but it's awesome, you know, and, and I want to kind of touch on family. Like I think family is so important in any business, you know, even the ones who kind of aren't working essentially like, I'm a big, like, I love my wife to death, you know, and I, and I don't say this enough, but I think all mothers, yeah, they're all partners, like, I think we really should thank them more often because it's because of their sacrifices that we can be who we are. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk about, you know, like the fatherly influence and the work and so on, but I think the mothers, the wives, like the partners that are kind of at home taking it, like, they are the MVPs, you know, and it's because of their love. And I, like, and I think you can say the same thing if, if your parents, you know, it's because it's they work hard and they do what they have to do. That we can succeed in life. Yeah, I, I look at it like similar to like a business, which is, yeah, if, if, if there's a partnership, the partnership has to be kind of mutually beneficial. Like they, they need to be stronger together than they are apart. And, Absolutely. You know, even like you and your brother, for example. And your dad, like that's a, that's a partnership and everybody has a role and without that person, things might fall apart or things wouldn't be as strong as they would be with that person anyway. Absolutely, Dan. And like, it's so important having that support. Yeah. And yeah. like, as I said, like, it's, it's nice. Like, even though we do brawl, it's nice that we have each other's backs. Like, Charlie probably hasn't questioned anything I've done in the past 10 years of marketing and I don't question what he does. We, we know we're in our lanes, we trust each other and we just push forward on it. And that's why we're able to do great things. And what do you think made you... Uh, such a great marketer because I, I really, you, you really are like, um, even, even when the business was small, like I, every time I saw one, I'd point it out to, to someone like, oh yeah, I, I never really, but like, it was just, it had something about well, what do you think made you a good marketer? What, what did you do well that others could learn from? To be honest, I, I just kept trying. I kept trying. And I, and when I failed, I realized what, what made me fail. And the next thing I tried, I did it better because I learned from that failure it was just always about experimenting. I was never really shy to do anything. And I guess, again, it comes back to like the family foundations of believing in me, knowing that I had people backing me, that made everything to me. It was just trial and error down. Like, mate, again, I started off thinking I was going to be an accountant in life. And then here I am, ended up doing marketing and design and innovation. Like, 
things just happen, you know, and it's one of those light bulb moments. So just when it's on, it's on. And how did you try that? What do you mean by try? Like how would you try and what would you try? Well, when it comes to, you know, back in the day, again, on 10 Bridge Street, like I had my photos on posters and I was making my own ad campaigns and all that kind of crazy stuff, even to the color of the cup, yellow. We tried it. Try it. If it fails, go ahead, keep going, push. Like who gives a fuck, you know? That's how you learn. Like make the mistakes. One mistake is one day it can be a mistake, sorry, but it could be awesome the next day. Like just – I was very lucky, even like in say Castlereagh Street, when we first kind of became like marketers in innovation. And so like being busy wasn't enough for me. Like my personal motto is be proud, never satisfied. Like I'm, I always love what I do, but it's not enough. Cause I know if I ever stand still once, I'm going to be run over. So I keep pushing. And that was my kind of thinking of Castlereagh Street. So yeah, I told you, I did the product research. People were in the building, were busy. It wasn't enough. So I kind of had my, my thinking cap and it's actually a pretty funny story and I still have it at home. So growing up, I actually had a whiteboard in my room. I was this kind of weird kid that I used to wake up during the night and just start doodling ideas and like creations and go back to sleep and then wake up and, oh, all right, let's try this out today. Like, man, like we, we went crazy. Like we went viral at a stage. Like I created like a, a cheeseburger croissant 10 years ago and overnight I woke up the next day and I was in like um, the Cosmopolitan magazine and all these French magazines and they were fucking ripping me apart. How dare this guy ruin our sacrilegious croissant? Who does he think he is? And it was crazy. So it was kind of like a moment like that and it just kept pushing me. From that, I created all these other products. Some bloggers found out about me and then boosted my business. And before you know it, we had we went viral again for the world's largest five kilo Nutella fried ice cream. Just really weird shit like that, you know, like, and that just comes to the back, like, just keep trying. Something might be a flop, but there's a lot of good things that can come out of it. But it almost kind of sounds like you've mastered or you've benefited from the art of doing it, the outrageous, like the things that may not make sense, but doesn't make sense and it, it should make sense. And you know, like <laughs> things like a blogger would be like, wow, like, you know, a cheeseburger croissant. I've never seen that before. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like you've, 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 you've leveraged, not, uh, you've leveraged positive outrage. Like, oh. You know, yeah. five kilo ice cream. Yeah. What? Like, you know, I, I think the best thing is I'm not a chef. And so I think when you train to be a chef, you're trained to follow certain guidelines. This goes on this and that's it. And this is like 10 years ago. So obviously a lot of things have changed now. So because I was in charge of marketing and I was in charge of product and in charge of so many different things and I had no experience in it. Cause again, you remember like we're at like 35 stores now and like I was never trained for any of this stuff or the only degree to my name is design and a bit of marketing and look where we are. Right. So I think because I had no restrictions growing up, it brought out all these outcomes. Like again, like a cheeseburger croissant, like no one would think of that back then. I'm doing pancake burgers, fried ice creams, like shit that you wouldn't even think about or you should be doing in a cafe. Like, mm. And like, it's crazy. It would be like the equivalent of me launching a hundred thousand dollar cup membership here. You know, because people are like hundred grand membership, like yeah, you know, the newspapers would be like, what, what, what's this hundred thousand yeah, dollar membership yeah. you guys have? Like, what do you get for that? And like, you know, there being all these outrageous things. I should just launch one. It doesn't it. even matter if you sell any. It's just <laughs> you probably will. I reckon we'd sell a couple of them. You but, might get a couple. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But my point is, it's the outrageous. It, it's that like outrageous factor. Yeah. That 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 makes you, like how how can I make myself talkable? Like yeah. what are people going to talk about? How, how, how is it going to be inter- an interesting, how am I going to be an interesting conversation? Yeah, it's so true. Like even coming back and I keep bringing up Castaway because Castaway Street was when 
I found myself, you know, and I had my following. It came to point when I, I was doing that many outrageous things every week that I actually created a, a, um, a club called the Confectionery Club. And it was like a secret member only club that actually people actually made cards for people. I think the card on it said, I solemnly swear I will never tell anyone what I'm a part of. If anyone hears you showing the, or sees you showing the card, tell them I love turtles. So it was just something so random like that. So here I am like, you know, at 23 years old, I had a thousand people in a membership just to see what I would drop every week, what kind of random creation. Like it was a cult and I fucking loved it. It was so much fun. Wow, that is cool. <laughs> it's, it's like a, yeah, again, that's another great marketing tactic. It's bringing people into the inside. People want to be a part of something. Yeah. You know, and that's what we realized early on and we just kept pushing on it. Yeah, like me and Laura had a meeting yesterday with this lady. It was really lovely. And we were talking about like, uh, we're talking about boa and introducing like, uh, what do we call it, Laura? It was basically like having this inner circle of BOA users who, who you know, we, we, we show how to leverage the platform and show them how they can benefit from it and to teach others and whatnot. But it's kind of like that thing. It's like I'm on the inside. Yeah. I feel special. You know, I'm part of the Turtle Club, Roy's Turtle Club, whatever you <laughs> called it. Yeah, can I just like, say something, Dan? I yeah. fucking love your app, you know, just oh, quietly. Yeah, it's sick. It's cool. And I think it? I messaged you the, the other day about it. Like it's just the people on it are just so genuine. Like I, I put a question out on LinkedIn a couple of weeks asking for help. And I never do that, but I just thought, you know, fuck it. What, what do I have to lose? It's LinkedIn. Like, isn't that what everyone's there for? And no one helped me. i got, a, you know, a few love hearts and, you know, likes that people yeah, can fire, do. Fire, and fire, And the clapping hands that they yeah. put those in. And, but no one said anything. And so I was like, no, I'm going to put the same question on Boa. And the responses I got from the people on there were insane. Like, it's so, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, I just find business owners in general to be very generous and very supportive people because they know how hard it is. So when someone else needs help, like if they're asked, I always find that they're willing to, to, to help. Absolutely. And, and then when you build, com- that's the beautiful thing about communities, like even your turtle, um, I know it's not called the turtle club. <laughs> yeah, but, but I like whatever, that. You know, I'm going to trademark yeah, that. Yeah, even your turtle club. club. <laughs> like w- once you have a community, w- when people join a community and they, they're explained, like this is the purpose, this, this is who our community is. It's kind of like your values as a company. Yeah. You know, every community needs like, this is how you fit in basically. Yeah. And, and if you tell people like this app's about supporting each other and helping each other succeed, people will look at it with that perspective. It's like, okay, the, 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 the purpose of this place is to do that. It is cool. It, the, the culture on, on Boa is really cool. Um, yeah, and we've got some amazing features coming. Yeah, like it's still in testing until August. It's going to be in August. It's I'm calling it Boa official one. Like yeah. it's the first real version of Boa. Um, but, but no, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a community. It's, 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 it's different to, yeah. to other people. You know what I love about Dan? You're not afraid to keep investing in it. You could have just dropped this app and said, it is what it is. But the fact that you're on there posting, you're listening and you're trying to improve it and you want to make it the best fucking app out there. That's what I love about it. And that's, and that's the difference of, I found I still invested in their business. And, and, but that's what, it's like what you were talking about. It's like, try things. Like we've tried a lot of things and we took them down cause it didn't work. Um, um, we, we'd never waited till something was perfect either. We just, I, I always rather just do it. And if people seem like they like it, then we can fix it. We can make it better yeah. after. Um, and, and listening to people, like what you, what you're saying, like meeting your, looking, you were looking at your customers and literally seeing what they were doing. And um, I, I can't necessarily do, or I, I can do that. I can see how people are using the platform. Like a lot of people are saying, Hey, is there anyone in the sunshine coast? would love to catch up for coffee. Yeah. So people obviously want to see who's in their area so yeah. that they can meet each other and grow their network as business owners. Absolutely. So, so next week there's a, I'm actually testing it today for the first time, but next week there's a, 
um, a feature where you can, it's kind of like realestate.com, but for business owners, you know, you can literally like be like, like you may be, I don't know if you want to search Parramatta, you could be like Parramatta hospitality and bang, it'll bring up a list of all the business owners uh, on Boeing in, in, that are in hospitality in Parramatta or marketing or lawyer, or you might need a, a lawyer for, yeah. uh, a, you might need a franchise lawyer. I'm sure you already have one, but you <laughs> might need a franchise lawyer. You can actually search that see who the people are and connect owner to That's owner. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's so cool. And yeah. I actually did the same, that was what I did on your app. I'm in North Rocks, who's in my area, who can I catch up with? So it's going to work. It's good. Yeah, yeah. And, and right now it's kind of got that feature, but it just doesn't work. Yeah. Wait till you see the new version. It, it, it sounds weird to say I launched an app that has features, doesn't work. But <laughs> it, it's actually true. Um, but if, but I just wanted like to I go. Like I said, you failed and you're going to yeah. learn from your failures and you're going to improve. You're going to yeah. do better. Yeah. And you learn how to deal with tech people and you're like, it, I, yeah. it's, it's actually a, a lot of synergies between Fickle and me and Power. <laughs> yeah. And so you've got how many, um, how many stores now? So we're at 35 locations at the moment. And, and tell me what you've learned about franchising. So what's your, I mean, 35 locations is a lot. Um, and you obviously deal, they're, they're all franchise. Most would Ma be franchised. Yeah, correct. Um, so you're dealing directly with the franchisees. Correct. And how are you guys um, doing that? How are you guys spreading the Piccolo vibe that you, you know, like you keep saying, or the, the, pic, the, the that Piccolo, uh, Piccolo extra, lifestyle. Lifestyle. Yep. How, are you, how are you implementing that? Or implementing, they're not robots. How, <laughs> yeah, how, are you, how are you sharing that with the franchisees to then, you know, because they need to then share that with your, your customers. True. Yeah. You know what, Dan? Like- and I think this is the hardest thing about franchising in general. So when we went from three stores to 10 stores, everything paused, right? Because you go from things that were easy and made up on the spot to now I need systems and processes and recipe books and training videos. So we kind of learned that the hard way originally, but, but now we're at the stage where we've got a really good support team behind us. So we've got, you know, ops, we've got a marketing manager, we've got a social media team. So we've kind of invested in ourselves and in the team. Like we understand that we're not going to be able to be reachable every day. But we want to make sure that someone's always there for these guys whenever they need it the most. But I would assume to have 35 stores and growing, um, I think your brother messaged me on Boa actually saying, I was asking about the business, he, he was saying that you're going to have 45 by the end of the year yeah. or something like that. Um, that. That's a lot of of responsibility, a lot of people. And, and, and the thing is they're not all in the same place. They're all spread out all yeah, over correct. the shop. Some in Melbourne and, and – well, is there anywhere else outside of Melbourne? Yeah, so, yeah, so, no, so yeah, two in Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, moment, I've yeah. been to the Melbourne one. Yeah, that's good. Um, um, but but I assume you'd have to have some really solid uh, – like written processes um, and manuals on how you actually do Piccolo. Yeah. How do you do Piccolo me? Like yeah. um, uh, did – was that something that – took you a while to learn to do or how did you get the first franchise? Like what, what was the difference between how you opened the first franchise and how you opened the last or the well, latest? So the first one was, was an absolute mess because obviously you're just excited at the fact that you got a franchisee. So like I want to do pasta. Yeah, go do pasta. You want to do, yeah, go do whatever you want. Who cares? You know, like we're just excited about it. And we kind of learned the hard way that that wasn't the way to grow a business because people were visiting other locations. We all had social media. He's got pasta. Why don't you have pasta? So it was kind of like you had to dial it back a lot, you know, and that's when the systems and the process started coming in place. And they weren't perfect. You know, we, again, remember me, Charlie and dad had no like experience on this. We were just like three blokes from, where, from out west, just trying to get it right, having fun and doing what we do best, you know. So it was a battle. And I always tell everyone, like the first 10 stores kind of broke me as a person. Because you go from everything being right to everything going wrong overnight. You go from three stores only calling you to like 10 people calling you with their own kind of issues and it was so fucking hard. Like I remember like going home like I just want to cry. Like it's too much. 
And that's when we kind of had to realize, all right, we need to hire support, but we need the, we need the processes, we need the systems. We need to be, if we can't be reachable, how can they fix something without us, essentially? And once we did that, you know, we mastered it. And you know, we're still learning. Like, you're like, we're you know, going to be at 45 sites in this year. We're still learning. We're still going to be hiring more people. So, But the, the, the thing that, like, that, that I can see is like you're saying, like the first 10 you know, stores, we didn't have our systems and processes down packed yet. Yeah. Like we were, I'm sure they got better each store, yeah. but you didn't feel like you had them. And like, I, I, that, that was like me with Cub when I, when I launched Melbourne, we were nowhere near ready to launch. Like we had the money, but we didn't have anything else, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, and we had 18, but we, we had no systems processes. So Melbourne actually took a long time for us to really, um, you, like, what do you call when you tame a horse? Like, break it in. You know, <laughs> I know like, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I've been watching too much Yellowstone. <laughs> I'm gonna. I bought my own ranch. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. But um, but um, but yeah, it took a while to do that, and and now, um, we're about to open. Uh, like well, we're opening Cub in in pretty much most major cities in the in in Australia. But we spent so many years working on we, um, we 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 start that next year because we spent so many years working on the process and the systems, um. To make sure that that because Cub's very complex to run, there's no other business like it. So we can't really copy. This is how we do it. Yeah. It's all invented in our heads, and 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 our reporting is detailed. Like it's it's a really complex business because you're dealing with fucking thousands of business busy business owners who you know imagine trying. It's like herding them all together yeah. in different you know, strategic groups and play. Yeah. Like it's hard to Everyone's get. Doing thing yeah, yeah, everyone. Yeah, they don't read their emails. You got to get <laughs> yeah, them. Like, definitely. So, so um, uh, the, but I've learned the hard way about processes, and in fact, I was. Um, I had a meeting with John Simon um, um, two weeks ago, um, who's a, a friend of mine and, and a mentor. And uh, I, I go to his house and I, I sit in his office. It's the nicest office you've ever seen in your life. It's the nicest house probably yeah, you've probably. seen in my yeah. life. And, um, and he, I was telling him, like, John, this is all the things I'm doing. Um, uh, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm thinking. These are the problems I'm having. And he goes, Daniel, I don't even know how you sleep. He's like, I like, I take sleeping pills. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, I don't even know how you sleep. He's like, that's too much. Yeah. It's, it's too much going on. He said, you, you're not thinking big enough. You're not, you, you need to start thinking like a big business, acting like a biz big business, talking like a big business. You need to start thinking like a, you need to start professionalizing because you're not going to be able to scale. You're not going to be able to focus on BOA. Yeah. You're not going to be able to focus on all the things that you should be focusing on if you don't have that. That's if you don't professionalize. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the difference that separates businesses that grow and scale and those who don't. Because it's, it's, I mean, it's not easy having a, like a, you know, like one shop. It's not easy. In fact, it's very hard. But, but it's a lot easier than figuring out how to grow to 45 shops. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that, prof that, that, that systems and operations that professionalization, you could call it, that big business implementation, that is the difference between growing, between being able to get big and, and, and staying small. And mind you, it's great to have a small business because if that's what you want, you're running your small business and it, it you know, you love your customers and it gives you the life yeah. you want. It's enough. Perfect. Yeah. yeah it's it's just, some people are just happy with that, you know, it, there's yeah. nothing wrong with it. And, and it's great. But, but, 
But if you are, if you do want to grow big, you need those systems. And what's interesting is like you even, you went 10 stores to learn like, okay, well, this is how we should, on the 11th store, I'm sure it was much easier to open than the first 10, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's again, systems and the people around you. I think like yourself, we're over ambitious. We think we can do everything and we can think we do everything on our own. And that's kind of the biggest problem. So once you kind of invest in your systems, your processes and the team, sometimes you've just got to overhire. You've got to overhide to get the things done. Like you, you can't be good at everything. And once you kind of understand that, that's when your business will go to the next level. Yeah. And, w- and once you like a big, re- exactly. And overhiring sometimes is good because not everyone will work out. But like if you hire five people, you know, three of them will probably be <laughs> great long term. Like, you know, I had to fire a lot of people yeah. at Cub to get to the team we have now, which now we have 100% retention and everyone's yeah. fantastic and happy. And, you know, firing people is certainly not what is enjoyable about business. And it's not yeah. like, it's not that what you ever want to do. Yeah. Honestly, I, I hate firing people, but sometimes you have a vision. And if the team doesn't believe in your vision, you need to kind of make the hard changes. Yeah. And, and always come at it as a viewpoint as it, it's better for that person too, because if that person's not, is not correct for this business, well then long-term that's not going to be good for that person. Of course. So you, they're better off finding a, a, an opportunity that's better suited yeah. to them. The last thing you want is someone just staying there just because they're comfortable. You know, it's, it's not good for, so like, again, I've made some hard calls because for me personally, like, like I love people. And if I see someone struggling, I'll make the call for them. I'm like, you know what? You deserve better than this. I know like you're a fucking gun. Go somewhere where you will shine. And, yeah. and, that, and, that's, and that's like I think anyone that's kind of left me will say that. Like I've never had anyone go because we're on bad terms. Like I know you, you can be better fit somewhere else. Like leave because you can do better. I can see better in you. I trust you. You can do it. It's time. Yeah. I, uh, having that viewpoint on it. And, and, and I mean you've got a big team like I was alluding to before. You've got 35 stores. How are you implementing a culture, a common culture throughout the franchisees and within your head office team? So it's, we always try to do like, you know, the quality catch-ups or the monthly meetings where I think last month we went out to bowling, you know, and we just brought everyone together and just had fun. So that's kind of like the fun part of like the non-business side of it. But we also try to do quality meetings where we talk about things in the market, like supplier changes, increases and so on, and let them have a say. Like a lot of the past few marketing campaigns have been franchisee ideas. So we brought them in. We're like, all right, you know what? Let you tell me what you want. So I actually got them to, you know, think of a product. They actually had papers that were drawing and themselves and we could see how bad they could all draw. So it was, you know, it was a good laugh. But it brought them all together. And it comes back to being a family. If we're all not united, we're going to crumble. Yeah, keep maintaining that family culture. And, and that's the biggest thing about us. Like we are a family. And it's all over our websites. It's all over our packaging, you know. Like we, we are your local, ca- your local cafe, your family friendly, you're joining a family. You're not just joining somewhere where you just become a number. But I like the idea of always assessing your industry and the situation it's in as well. And, and, and having team members assess it themselves, like th- rather than you just say, Hey, this is what's happening in our industry. This is what we need to do. It, you know, inviting them or encouraging them, sorry, to, to actually do that analysis themselves. Like yeah. to, to re- cause they'll re- people remember when people do, they remember. Yeah. So, you know, if they really think about the space and what's wrong and how we can, how we can strategically win over competition or, or, or at least stand out as you, as you have, we, I think that's your biggest secret is standing out yeah. and, and, and probably giving people an emo- making people feel a certain way. Yeah. And that's our brand. We're, we're fun. We're cheeky. But we're not scared to be ourselves. And that's something that I've always thought, like, sort of like, I think we went through a stage where we became too corporate because that's what everyone told us to do. You know, you, you want to be big, you got to be corporate, you got to like, 
you can't be you can't be like this anymore. And well, there was about six months where we did that, and the brand changed. Like I actually didn't want to even go to work anymore. I was like, this is fucking boring. Like I'm sick of just sitting in the office, just like, all right, what's next? What's going on? And that's when we kind of made those internal changes. And then overnight, everyone's like, did you hire someone new? Well, what's going on? What's going on at head office? Your page is so vibrant. You're on the camera. You're doing these little segments called Pickle and Me TV which is kind of um, something that I brought out 10 years ago where I interview my staff and the customers and let them talk on social media. So I think I was like the OG of reels back then probably, you know, you never know. How interesting though that you you, you lost your essence of the company by, you, you went too corporate, yeah. you, you swung too far one way. Because that's what you get told, you yeah. know, you're like, oh, you want to be big like all these other big places, you've got to be corporate, you've got to put the structure. Yeah. And it's like, we learned the hard way, it's, it's not us. So, and I never, and I mean, try to be promised ourselves is to, and we never want to be like that again. We never want to lose our soul. So that's kind of that's been our it. promise. Yeah. It's the essence of your business. What makes it special. And we do have to wrap up. Uh, do we, why? Soon. I thought we have plenty of but, time, Dan. What's going on? <laughs> but what would, I guess, <laughs> what would be, um, normally we'll finish with like, uh, do you read much or are there business books you read? Or? No, you know, honestly, I tried reading. I just can't focus. <laughs> I, I, I go into like page five and if you see all the books at home, you just got drawings and shapes and like random creations. And so I, I really try uh, to read. I can't, but what I found is um, actually like audio books, but it's actually pretty funny because the first one I ever listened to was like a Batman Unburied. And that's when I actually felt like I love this. I'm like, all right, I can get into this. This is a bit different. So I'm, I feel like, yeah, books is a no. Like I, I tend to spend my time listening to podcasts, if anything. There's this really, really good podcast at the moment. Uh, it's called Cup. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's got some crazy guys. Yeah, it's got some gr- crazy people on there. The host is, you know, he's insane. I love it. <laughs> but also to see like, you know, how I built this by Garaz. Like, yeah, that's a good oh, podcast. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And, and I love it because it's good to know that I'm not alone. There's other people out there making mistakes. You know, you, you don't feel like you're a failure all the time. You're like, okay, this is how they bounced up. This is how they move forward. So, yeah. And sorry, before I finish, I wanted to ask you also your opinion of the hospitality industry in the very near future with the interest rates going up um, and obviously cost pressures on people happening. Uh, are there any fears or what are your expectations of the hospitality industry? Absolutely. No, whether it be for cafes or, yeah. or, or hospitality. Huge fears. It's, it's scary. Like cost of goods now are, are a problem. Everything is actually nuts at the moment. So kind of what we do as a business is we try to do a lot more value deals now more bundling up and value value for money. We might, like, so instead of like something being like $12, we'll just reduce the size of bread and bring the price down. So it's just about being smart with your menu, essentially. Like you can still give the same experience, but just have it downsized a little bit and charge less as well. Like you're not, we're not yeah. talking about- Don't rip people off. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, you don't want to lock some other people where they yeah. charge the same and give you the half a half a <laughs> I bun. Get one spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just about being smart with your menu, making it very affordable. Because if you want to indulge, you can indulge. But if you want the value, we've got all your value bundle offerings for you. Yeah. So but you, you're pivoting to a, a, a specific economy. Yeah. When, when, it's a, when it is a surplus and the economy is great, Everything's oversized and, and expensive. Yeah, that's when, it. <laughs> and when it's when not, things start tidying up, <laughs> everything better, goes pickle and start losing weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great advice. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, and uh, to our um, to our amazing listeners, if you want to get in touch with Roy uh, or find out more information about Pickle and Me, go to cup.club forward slash podcast and you'll find him there. Actually, Roy, do you want to share your Instagram as well? Because I know the Pickle and Me Instagram is going off. Yeah. So just, yeah, at Pickle and Me, P R C L O O M E. And Dan, can I say a few words before we wrap up here? Do some shout outs. Mate, uh, not necessarily shout outs. I just want to talk, to talk to all the listeners. I think if there's one thing you can learn from this is don't be afraid to back yourself and never, ever lose focus of, of who you are. Never lose your soul. 
Because because once you lose that, things will change and, and you could end up on a different path. So just believe in yourself and you will go far. Believe in your family, believe in your team and just don't give up, all right? Don't give up. And if you ever do anything, hit me up on LinkedIn. We do some crazy shit as well. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> and if you're a business owner, hit him up on Boa because he'll reply there. Yeah, yeah, go Boa. <laughs> and let's get pickle out, everybody. Thank you very much. Hope Shout you. out to my mom, my dad, brother Charlie, my wife, Christian, my little girl, Olivia. Sorry, sorry, Dan, just hijacked this. I love you all. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs>